Conrad, for the people that are not watching us on YouTube, I'm going to try to describe what you're wearing. Go get it. Oh, I see your tri-black diamond shirt, which you can tell us about in a second. But most importantly, I don't know if you're wearing, are they shooting glasses or Blade Runner glasses or... What do you got? A, Tell me about what's going on. I'm definitely not a shooter. The guns scare the crap out of me. No, so I, I, I've gotten back into triathlons, kind of. I found the middle age equivalent of the triathlon, which is called the Aquathon. And it is basically for slightly overweight middle-aged men who can't run anymore. And so I've gotten back into it because it's important for people to have things that are outside of work. And I found that this is a great way. Like when you're training for long distance riding, for example, you spend a lot of time on the bike by yourself, just kind of mulling over things. And it's, it's a good way to kind of be healthy and get your brain in the right space as well. The funny thing is with these glasses, they're great riding glasses. They're also great skiing glasses, but I can't see garbage because they're not prescriptions. So I'm going to pull them off. Well, they look um, very professional and, you know, and you know, tying it to uh, lunch, our legal marketing, I think this is kind of the idea here is let your personality what your interests are shine through because guess what happens people gravitate oh hey maybe we have a listener that runs triathlons well i don't know you know what i don't want to be presumptuous listeners if you run triathlons we want to hear from you hit us up hit us up because conrad is a triathlete you guys can race well, I'm, I'm like a two-thirds triathlete. I'm like, it, it's, uh, so this weekend I did, I was really proud of it. And then I started doing the math and I was like, well, that's not that great. I did two-thirds of a half Ironman, right? So you start, you start multiplying those fractions together and it, it starts to get pretty, a little less impressive, but it's still good stuff. It's, I don't know, yeah, two-thirds more than I'm doing. But anyway, in addition to triathlons, what are we talking about today? All right. So we're not going to talk about tries anymore, but we will, as usual, cover the news. Really interesting news coming out, as usual. We're going to go over, and I'm really excited about this, the HubSpot State of Marketing Trends Report, which is very notably not legal, but it really is a great review of what's hot in the marketing world. And then Google launched some search quality guidelines updates. So we're going to cover that. But for now, I want to hear about some money. Money makes Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to yet another episode of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. And as we like to do, let's roll some news. In the news, Google has kicked the can on their cookie rollback date. So we've been telling you and market has been telling you to make sure that you start to take action because Google's not going to use third-party cookies. Conrad, what is a third-party cookie? Well, a third-party cookie, other than being delicious, is what basically indicates that someone has been on a website. And this is why when you're on Amazon shopping for overpriced triathlon glasses, the ads for that follow you all over the place. And that's the basic functionality. It, It enables marketers to deliver very, very customized solutions the concern with cookies, as always, has been privacy. So 
not only do I know that I was shopping for sunglasses, but the internets, the people who control the internets, know that I was looking at a divorce lawyer or know that I was looking at uh, how to make a bomb, all sorts of things. And so there has been a concern, and I think it's a legit concern around privacy, and there was an, an announcement, I don't know when this came out, but it was, it was not that long ago, that they were going to roll back and there was going to be a big push towards privacy that was going to roll out in 2023. That has now been pushed back to 2024. I'm not surprised, but I'm one, I would love to have been a fly on the wall when there was a debate around, eh, Privacy is not that important anymore. Let's let's. Well, they ran the numbers and they realized that shareholder value was going to drop because wow. advertisers are going to have less efficient campaigns and they're going to be spending more waste. So, practically speaking, what this means is you get a little more time with your third-party cookies. Maybe this will go on, but we should, you know, look. They're talking about sunsetting it. It's chance it's going to happen. First-party data, right? Email opt-ins, really. When you really boil things down. That's what you should be focusing on to prepare for this cookie apocalypse. So at the risk of hijacking the news and getting deeper into this, I want you to, to go back to what you just said because it is so important. So, okay, cookies are going away. How should marketers respond? You talked about opt-ins. What does that mean and how should that change the way we are thinking about helping law firms engage with their audience? Yeah, so we probably should do a whole segment on this because this is just the news that you've taken over. <laughs> but... News Takeover um, brought to you by the, the short Monster. Google version is create great, valuable content that people want. They subscribe to it. And when you have their permission, what's not going, here's what's not going away permission based marketing. So, uh, custom audiences, right? So, if you're someone comes to your website and you say, download our free guide on understanding consequences of divorce or personal injury or criminal defense issue, and part of that is an opt in to receive regular tips and advice and updates. That's where the gold's going to be in the cookie-less world. And then, of course, you can use that email opt-in, if you get their permission, to show them ads on Facebook, Google Display Network, yada, 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 through their email. That's what's going to change, right? So the idea is, is that instead of dropping this code that seems a little bit nefarious or surreptitious on people's browsers, they're saying, we're going to control it with emails. And so that's going to give people the ability to opt in, opt out. There you go. And from an efficiency standpoint, it's better than cookies, right? It's much better than cookies, right? And yeah. and you're really dealing with people who are much more engaged, right? More likely to purchase, recommend, refer, et cetera. Exactly. Okay. Another quick news item because we've gone over time and we're going to... We're going to go over time again on this one as well because we can't segment. not turn it into a lesson. That's right. But our good friend from LexBlog, Kevin O'Keefe, published on LinkedIn, then noticed that Harris Bricken Solowski, I apologize if I've mispronounced any of those names, discovered that U.S. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker cited their blog in a letter to Merrick Garland. And so thank you, Kevin, for bringing this to our attention. Conrad, I think you had already known about this, but it was new for me. Conrad, tell us about Canna Law Blog. Well, so Canna Law Blog is a blog about cannabis, right? And there's, a, there's some really good instructional pieces in here. Number one, no one wants to link to your law firm website. Blogs are much better at generating links. They always have been. There's a conversational tone to things. There is an informality. There is a kind of timeliness to the topics that you can talk through. And they are a... Some might say the original social media. The original social media. So they are a fantastic method for actually driving links back to 
a law firm. The key, and this was an interesting thing for Harris Bricken, Dan Harris, who is, if I ever get in a legal knife fight, Dan Harris is the guy I'm calling. He is just a mean guy. And if he hears this, he will be, he'll nod along and he'll be very happy to hear me say that. But Dan Harris was one of the original, I mean, back in the early days when I just got into this game, he had a blog, or he had and continues to have a blog called China Law Blog, which is about doing business in China. And he also created a blog around cannabis. And he has taken those blogs that used to exist as kind of these freestanding elements, put them on his law firm website. Now, the key here is, the, and the reason I'm going into the tactics of this, is the link from Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker going back to the cannabis law blog. That's great. But the beauty of that is that link will help Harris Bricken's law firm website rank for all of the practice areas that they are interested in, right? Whether it be about cannabis or not. It's not just that page specifically. And so this is like link building on steroids. I want to make one key. And again, this is supposed to be news and we've turned it tactical. So I apologize. The key thing here is I'm going to pick on the concept of content. You can't just write a piece of content, throw it on the web and expect it to be found. That is not going to happen. Harris Bricken has been at this for, I'm going to go 15 years, something along those lines. And so this is a flywheel that takes time, that needs to be fed, that needs to be consistently used in order to make it work. But when it works, boy, oh boy, is it effective. And this was an amazing example of where blogging, this is great link building. It is SEO on steroids and well-played. Yeah. And so uh, a lot of good learnings there. If you need inspiration for blogging and how they're actually organizing their site, inspiration for PR. I think the other, the other quick thing that I would add is you don't have to get the endorsements of uh, Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker to make this stuff work, right? The same concepts can be applied at a super hyper local level. So, you know, a lot of the pushback is, well, people say, well, we're, you know, we're not Harris Bricken, right? We're not Dan Harris. We're not SCOTUS blog. You know, we're not the preeminent source. And it's like, yep, that does take time, but shrink it down, find a more niche practice in a local market and stuff still works. With that, we're taking a break. Smart firms use CallRail to track where every lead comes from. PPC, LSA, organic search, or even offline ads. CallRail tells you which channels drive your best leads. CallRail even integrates with your favorite CRM or practice management tools to help manage your leads and see the ROI on your marketing investments. Know exactly which marketing tools work. Plans start at 45 bucks a month. We recommend CallRail to every single one of our clients. Go to callrail.com slash lunch hour now and try it for free. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app. And now 
to bring some great data out of one of my favorite partners, HubSpot. HubSpot launched their State of Marketing Trends reports. It is 55 pages of awesome, and I would thoroughly recommend you read it. Guy, you've had a chance to look over the HubSpot State of Inbound Marketing Trends. What jumped out to you? I'm wondering if we have some overlap. I'm just going to run through their preview of the major findings, okay. and then we'll dive a little deeper because I know there's some things on data and benchmarking that we want to go deeper on. Yep. But first one, which we've talked about a bunch, short form video content like TikToks and Instagram Reels are the most effective type of social media content. Interesting. I mean, not a shocker there. Lots of eyeballs on this stuff. I actually saw Law by Mike on TikTok. We've talked about him in the past, yep. but he got picked up by now this and a bunch of other uh, media outlets for you know what to do after getting arrested. And again, that's you can't uh, you can't buy that exposure. I mean, it's uh, a lot of awareness, a lot of brand, a lot of PR. Go check out Law by Mike. Videos, top content marketing media format for the third year in a row. So you know we've been right. talking about videos forever. If you're not doing some kind of video, you're missing a big expectation and opportunity. I mean, people want to see what you're like, and so that's anywhere from you know just talking about how and why you do what you do, all the way to you know you don't have to be law by Mike or attorney Tom to make this stuff work. You don't have to be a dancer. There are ways to do video content professionally uh, that really you know ingratiates yourself to people. Social media, number one marketing channel in 2022. Connor and I were talking about this one too, because we are search, we're old search people. <laughs> I know we would still argue that search is higher intent and more efficient, but you know, we'll fight that fight another day. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, top three. 83% of marketers believe it's more effective to create higher quality content less often. I think we've been pushing that agenda for a long time. Well, Go that's ahead, that was an interesting... That was one of the things that I really noticed. The question here was... Should marketers focus on quality content or quantity of content? And the answers were making the highest quality content possible, even if it means posting less often. This directly contradicts the short-form video content concept, right? Where I think one of the biggest misses in legal... And by the way, this is not legal-specific, right? So we're adapting what they're talking about generically to the legal environment, but my take, honestly, especially if you are using social as a brand building tool, we've talked about dark social in the past. If you are using social to engage with your community and as a brand building tool, the long form stuff, like it's really hard to listen to 20 minutes of a lawyer talking about anything, right? Oh. It's really hard. Even if you're their client. Even if you're their client, like, come on. It's hard. I had this question the other day, but knocking out those 60 to 90 second video clips, right? on the regular, that is not going in depth, but it is an opportunity to constantly put yourself in front of that audience. I think that's that's where I would take what I'm hearing out of the HubSpot generic marketing trends and talk about like, if your objective is building brand and community through social, using video, it is a quick and fast ant game, not the other way around. Totally. And, and one more point worth highlighting here on there, how marketers measure the impact of social <laughs> media. Uh, we did look at the same things. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, well, this one, so 37% talking sales. And you know what? Thank goodness. Because, you know, how many times do you have to hear a pitch from a social media consultancy or digital agency that wants to talk about impressions and views and awareness and even engagement, which has value, 
Like, you, if you're going to spend time and money on this stuff, it, you better be tying it back to sales. Why the fuck is it only 37%, Guy? <laughs> like, seriously. Well, it used to be zero. It used to be zero. So, I mean, the interesting thing for me is how mar- the question was how marketers measure the impact of social media. And right behind sales is likes, comments coming in at 33%. I will tell you, and Guy and I had this conversation, you can buy, manufacture, fake likes and comments as much as you possibly want. There is nothing more valuable than sitting down with three people who are really interested in what you're doing. And that is not a volume of likes or comments or any of that crap. We, so, hey, Guy, at the risk of foreshadowing, maybe maybe we should talk about how easy it is to fake getting likes and comments on, say, LinkedIn. Yeah, no, I for sure, you know, the, the buzzword here is engagement pods, but you can look at these uh, some of these influencer types, and it's like clear that they're all just in this circle of commenting and engagement. The, the comments don't even match what the posts are, and it just makes the to me like because I you know some of the people that I actually know that are participating in this, I'm just like this just makes you look lousy because yep you got a hundred comments and your post was like. Hey, this is something that you need to know. And the comment is really love your content or thanks for sharing. Inspiring. And it's like inspiring. They just said like good morning. You know, it just doesn't even match anyway. So that's a I think but but I think you need to think about that. I mean, again, legal ethics rules, these Dear state bar regulators, so far behind on everything. They have, um, you ask a state bar regular about engagement positive, but they don't even know what you're talking about. But it's certainly arguable that this is misleading, right? You're misleading potential clients that these people are actually authentically engaging with your content. It's no different than, my opinion, paying for fake reviews or paying for blog comment spam, which why would you do that? But people, yeah, people do. I think the problem with this question is the whom to which the question is being posed. You're asking a bunch of marketers what's important and measuring the impact, and they're saying likes. And a, right. a percentage of those scumbag marketers are faking the likes, period. And it's not just likes, it's also comments. There's so much fakery that's going on. It's like the old SEO link wheels and link buying. That is happening in social at an alarming rate. And, and, and I do think the problem here is people aren't yet savvy to that right? When I post something, I get hundreds of comments. Oh, great. Then let's have you come and talk on my show. Yeah, well, it's a bunch of horseshit, right? Sorry. Grumpy. Totally. Email. I think, again, I, this trends report talks a lot about email. I, I still think email is the, uh, it's the most sacred place you've got in uh, digital marketing. You get the opt-in. You're in their inbox, assuming you're delivering content they want to get. Very, very powerful. In fact, uh, for folks that are listening to this and we're a little bit confused about our cookie conversation, they break down zero party, first party, second party, third party data, especially as it relates to um, email and co-marketing and website activity and all this stuff. So give people's inboxes, folks. What else jumped out at you, Conrad? I was fascinated by the comments on content and how it is. Di- what's difficult about content. You know what the number one difficulty marketing challenge for content was on social media? It was creating engaging content, 
And number three was finding ideas for new content. Now, if you are a law firm, we've been talking about this for law firms for a long time. No one wants to talk about what you do for the most part. And you have to be clever to figure out. And we've talked about Levinson with his, uh, you know, he talks about food in Chicago. Like it's a great example of stuff that people do want to talk about, but it has nothing to do with the practice of law. Apparently, legal is not the only one who has this problem, right? And I, I'm going to go back to this over and over and over again. This is where the creative comes into what we do, right? And you need to be thinking in many cases outside your legal box in order to generate content that people care about. And it's not, and once you get outside of that box, it's not that hard. I think it was this show last time where we were talking about if you have no other positioning, your positioning is your location, right? So just get really deep into Sheboygan or wherever it might be, right? And that can be your content. And so I found that really fascinating, creating engaging content, finding new ideas for content being the most difficult things for people to be thinking about. You got to put your creative hat on, right? I'm kind of excited that there is room here for what's, what's I mean, the SEO world and the, especially the pay-per-click world can be very linear analytical practices. And I think there is a lot of room for people to be thinking well outside of the box in legal and doing things differently and having different positionings and having different involvement in the community that is spurred by creativity. And that makes me happy. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it comes back to what we talked about at the outset with your triathloning. But like, you know, I think of Ben Glass with uh, soccer refing. You know, I think of Ken with the food. I mean, there's a million of these examples you know, sharing the stuff and writing about it, doing social posts about who you are, why you do it. And the HubSpot report gives you some inspiration, right? I'll just run through these quickly, but, you know, content that reflects your values, creating interactive polls. I think that's a, in games, like that's a no brainer. And this stuff is that you don't have to be super technical to create a poll. Uh, you know, the, a lot of these tools are baked in, but instead of being like, you know, on LinkedIn productivity poll, like blah, 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 like ask people about stuff that you actually care about. You know, look, if you're not funny, you're not funny. You know, they say funny content, but covering cultural moments, news stories, stuff that's relatable, sharing behind the scenes, like the educational stuff, go check out what Law by Mike and Attorney Tom and some of these other uh, social media folks are doing. And again, you know, they've, they've been practicing, they've been at it for a while, so you might not be great at it uh, right out of the gate, but thematically, there's a lot to be learned from some of those folks. So with all these pieces of data, one of the things that I have found, Guy, that's really important is the benchmarking of data, right? And these data points as in isolation is, is kind of unhelpful because you don't know how you perform. That means you don't know where your weaknesses are relative to competition. And so for our LHLM listeners, boy, oh boy, do we have a treat for you. If you are interested in this, we are putting together a benchmarking report of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing listeners, as well as Guy's clients and Conrad's clients. And we're going to look at some of the key metrics and see how you perform. So for example, I'll use one of, one of my favorite examples that I talk about all the time, your phone call answer rate. Most of you don't know what that is. I mean, you know what it is philosophically. You don't know what the quantitative number is. And even if you do know what the quantitative number is, you don't know if you are in the bottom 20% of the legal industry or the top 20% of the legal industry. So if you are interested in benchmarking some key metrics for your firm against the lunch hour legal marketing crowd, Guy's clients and Conrad's clients, just go to mockingbirdmarketing.com slash benchmark and you can sign up right there. Now, I want to be honest and upfront. This may feel a bit sales pitchy. 
and we are more than happy to go over the data with you and kind of interpret the data with you. Ideally, Guy or Conrad would love you to turn into one of our clients, but that is not the real overlying objective. The objective is for you to be able to measure how you're performing on some really key numbers and to compare that against your competitive set. With that, we're going to move on to a review. This was a review I got from Josh Hodges. He is one of, talk about someone who's doing short-form content really, really well. Josh Hodges in TikTok, in the Ohio market, really, really inspiring. Just wanted to say the last podcast you did was great. The local link building piece, I think, is so important. Thanks, Josh Hodges. Thank you, Josh. And uh, I do enjoy chatting with you all the time. And I do find the work that you're doing both amazingly strategic and outstandingly inspiring in terms of what can be done with short-term video content. So those of you who don't know Josh, check him out on TikTok. He's uh, the hometown lawyer on TikTok. But you know what, Guy? It's been a while since we've had a good old-fashioned review on Apple Podcasts. So if you'd like to head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for us. We'd love to hear from you. As always, you can leave a question or comments here or on YouTube, and we're more than happy to answer them on the show. But for now, let's pay some bills. Welcome back. You know what time it is. It's time for that Legal Trends Report Minute brought to you, as always, by Clio. Like it or not, remote client communications are here to stay. In fact, more and more clients are demanding this over in-person office visits. It's not surprising that at least 83% of law firms already have technology in place to communicate with clients virtually because that's what clients want. When it comes to communication, our data shows that there's an increasing preference for video calls, email, secure client portals, and other remote options because they give clients the utmost flexibility to work with legal professionals. So why not give clients what they want? I mean, this is good for you too, lawyers. It's good for you. It's good for clients. It's not good for the environment, but well, maybe it is. Less paper. Maybe. I mean, paper, driving, flying. Yeah. Any of them, you should have this option available for folks that want it. You've said this really well in the past. Take the mundane stuff and make it not in person. You can't not do the in-person steak dinner. That's not substitutable. But there's lots of what you do that is substitutable, right? Not until we're in the matrix, nah. which maybe we already are. And we just in any event, for more information on how clients prefer to communicate with legal professionals, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash trends. Hopefully you know how to spell trends. All right. Finally, we wanted to spend a few minutes talking about the Google Search Quality Rater Guidelines update. So for folks that aren't familiar with this, we'll have links to at least a couple articles and the actual, you can get, you can download the most updated guidelines. But Google has search quality raters. These are people they hire all over the world to review search results and websites and provide feedback to Google about the quality of the results they're finding, and then they use those search quality rater responses as part of their decision-making about how they're going to shape search. And from time to time, they update this. And so the SEO people always are jumping up and down because anytime Google releases something that they claim they're using, at least in some way, to influence search results, SEO folks want to know about it. My view is, is 
SEO or not, there's a lot of good stuff in there from a, you know, just how to make your website a better user experience for people who come to it. Yep. Conrad, what were some of the updates that were made in this last round? So the focus on the update was two acronyms that we're going to talk about, YMYL and EAT, neither of which I really love. But YMYL was basically a concept around your money, your life. And Google, I think this came out like eight or nine months ago where they were talking about things that are related to where you can end up in a... if firms or if companies were appealing to the baser nature of people and almost in a threatening way impacting your money or your life. And the question was, did it really apply to legal? And it did when it came to criminal, right? And Google actually talked about some specific industries where, and legal was noted in that list of specific industries. And so that was going to have an impact on how they chose to rank or if they even chose to surface some types of content. And the change now has been uh, what I will, I read their changes here to be very much stepping back on specifically to legal on legal issues. And it is much more focused. While they take law out, they do still reference criminal acts. But I think this is more around criminal acts that may be illegal, right? They're, they're trying not to encourage people to do illegal things. Did, did you see the Matrix where they talked about, not the Matrix, the movie, but the Matrix that they put out where they're giving examples? The example that they gave for YMYL was not car accident lawyer specifically, but they were talking about news about a car accident. Would that be something that they would actually choose to publish? And that fell actually in the, in, in the maybe category because it, it did involve people's health. So as I read that, that could be things like those rewrite services that just scour the news or scour the police reports for terrible accidents. And then they publish the details of the accidents with hopes that you know, the individuals involved in that are actually going to call the firm. That Those are services that exist. I've, I've definitely worked with firms who've used those types of services, but it wasn't really focused on legal specifically. It's more around, like, are we encouraging poor behavior? It's interesting. I interpret it much differently than you. I okay. think it's this is right directly pointing at lawyers. As you mentioned, that anytime Google mentions lawyers, law, any of the things, any of the issues that clients deal with, whether it's injuries or personal finance or criminal acts, this is directly pointed at you. So that being said, like if you ask me if like if this is relevant for law firms, like a hundred percent, both are both your money, your sure. life, and eat, which we haven't got to yet. Two things that I'll say about this. One is is like, okay, Guy and Conrad, what tactically should I be doing differently? And the answer is is like I know a lot of you have web pages that have just wrong information. Whether you, you know, you had a, a page created five years ago and maybe you cited a statute that's changed or blah, 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 but that you gotta review those pages. So number one, just to make sure it's accurate. I think number two, this isn't so tactical, but maybe it's just more of like a uh be mindful of this. Like I still see pages that are just bad <laughs> from from whether it's what your money, your life, or eats, there's trash. And they're ranking. So, you know, and Google would, I think, would say that these aren't, uh, these search quality raters aren't directly influencing algorithms and rankings. But that being said, take all this stuff with a grain of salt. I, I look at this as more of like, it's a handbook of how to improve this signaling to the raters. Focus on these things. So, you know, if you've got stuff on your site that's just patently wrong, fix it. That's an obvious one. If you've got pages on your site that are really thin, right? Like, you know, this whole like five things to do after a car accident, 
There's no expertise in that. There's no authority in that. So then you get tactical again, like, okay, Guy and Conrad, how do you build expertise and authority into your pages? Well, that brings us right into EAT when we talk about authority, right? EAT has been one of those acronyms that's been thrown around that I have, by and large, ignored. EAT stands for Expertise, Authority, and Trustworthiness because I've ignored it because we wouldn't do anything different, right? We wouldn't do anything differently for our clients because of that. The changes that came out of EAT to me were really fascinating. I'd be curious to your perspective on why they made these changes. But the fundamental change here was they've removed statements about using the expertise of the author, which is fascinating because this harkens back to something that, that existed a long time ago when we had Relic was author. But they have removed the statement about the expertise of the author, and they're really just focusing in on the topic, right? And so a little bit of history, and then I'd love to get your perspective on, on, on the changes to eat. There used to be a thing called Relic was author where Google was very specifically calling out the expertise of individuals on any given topic. And within the search results, you would have authored by you know who it was. And this got really gross because you had agencies who will remain nameless but are big and service a legal industry who were basically selling that authority, that authorship authority, as they were reselling websites from client A to client B. So that's gross. But it's really focused on the topic. I was surprised to see that, Guy, because I like, so let, let's take this as an example. Because Guy and Connor write a lot about SEO and we've been cited frequently in SEO relevant things, something that we write about SEO, regardless of where we publish it and regardless of what the topic is using that authority of the author should surface better, right? That was the theory. They've removed that. Why? Because they, they're, not, they're not good at it. Ah. <laughs> and that's the problem, right? Ah. So that's, that goes to the site. So remember how all this works, right? They outsource this to search quality raters all over the world. And it's creating all this noise because, you know, someone sitting in a different country reading a law firm website, like they're trying to give their best estimation of like whether this is an expert on this, right. but like, you know... I think the other thing, too, that's interesting, I'm looking at these um, respected websites distinction, and we'll put the uh, SEM Post article in the show notes. But, you know, basically they're saying, you know, don't just give a page a good quality rating because it's on, you know, Stanford.edu. Because, you know, you see that and you're like, oh, it's Stanford must be right. And a lot of these university sites, for a variety of reasons, have really poor quality content on there. And so, you know, again, big picture philosophical thing. Google wants to recreate human notions of authority right. by soaking up the web and understanding it and spitting back results and spitting back an answers, actually. And so what do they use? Well, they can crawl the words on the page, right? And they can try to natural language process that and understand like what that is. They got links, right? They have user engagement signals to a certain extent, but what they would love is to have the collective human hive mind actually providing insight into, hey, you know, they've got AI now. So they're like, teach the AI what the patterns are right. for authority. And uh, sadly, well, not sadly, it's just, it's not just part of the process. They're not very good at it, right? And you see this. And so this is like kind of the dichotomy of like, this is where they want to go today. You know, you'll still hear me say, build some links because 
even those quote unquote low quality links, no follow links, that's a big part of how Google's making these decisions. And these search quality rater guidelines, they want to get there and they want us to believe, you know, that's part of the PR machine too. Don't get it. Let's not forget that. They want to encourage people to create great content because it's better for everybody, but they're struggling there. Anyway, that's my view. That's my maybe perhaps cynical gee take on it. Cynical gee take brought to you and exacerbated by legal marketing people who try and fake it. Right. Okay. And yeah, and again, it's uh, Google makes liars out of us all the time because we say, get some great content out there. You know, we try to say better than that. And then we see trash rank all the time. All right. Attorney Sink's new hard tagline, time. Google makes liars out of all of us. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not the first to say it, <laughs> but I'll take it. I'll own it. This was a more cynical uh, conversation than I think we've had for a while. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, if you're interested in getting your data benchmarked against your competitors within your practice area, mockingbirdmarketing.com slash benchmark. And with that, we would like to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Uh, if you just dropped in, someone shared this link or you clicked on a tweet or something, please do subscribe. We love to hear from listeners. So you can hashtag LHLM. You can send us emails. You can comment on our YouTube channel. We want to hear from you. We really do appreciate it. And this is the only way to get better. So until next time, Conrad and Gee, Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. We're out of here. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Close it out. Yeah, man. Conrad's weakness. See, every I try and do, I try. I, I step I in. And I, hey, you know what? Adam's I shouldn't like, have said that because you're trying. I'm and trying, man. You to get better. Totally. We're trying to coach you on closing out the show. So I want my job, medal, Conrad. In I fact, want you know, my I'm, participation Let's just run with what medal. you got. Let's run with what you went. <laughs> All right, now let's be, Conrad. You can bow out. Let the grown-ups take over. Okay. Anyway, here we go. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.